on this journey of discovering the stillness of heart and mind, or discovering that which is not subject to birth and death, we find that letting go is crucial, a critical part of the journey, the capacity to let go, to relinquish, or to let the phenomenal world be, letting things be just as they are. Tonight I would like to speak about renunciation and the part that it plays on this journey of awakening. Renunciation has the capacity to incline our minds towards liberation, towards non-clinging, through helping us to be able to let go, to be able to relinquish that which obstructs our view, that which covers over the inherent purity of mind. And when renunciation is fully realized, when, we, when it has reached the state where there is the awakened mind, we find that run- renunciation is the expression of this awakened mind. On the beginning of our journey, and actually for quite a ways into the journey, we find uh, renunciation helpful in helping us to leave behind that which is not serving us, or that which perpetuates bewilderment, a lack of clarity, and dissatisfaction. We find that when our minds, our lives, are not so cluttered or congested with things, with events, with memories from the past, that we can see more clearly. We begin to see more clearly that which is just a passing state that which has already passed. We aren't caught up in the debris of experience. We can see it in very much the same way that we may have had the experience of living in our own homes when they're cluttered and dirty. How difficult it is to find anything. How much time we can spend just looking for some little thing that is lost amidst papers, amidst piles of uh, material goods. Our minds are very much the same. When they're cluttered with things that we hang on to, we can't see what's really happening. We can't know the deepest truth within us. 
as we practice, we find that renunciation is actually quite a joyful experience. It's where we learn to lighten our loads. Rather than renunciation being a cross that we bear, it's actually a fruit of our practice and an expression of wisdom when the mind is no longer just moving from a habituated state. The Buddha once said that the Dhamma is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. And it seems we can say the same thing of renunciation. It will help us in the beginning, help us to let go of that which is not necessary to hang on to. We find it's good in the the middle. It becomes a support to the journey of awakening. And in the end, it becomes the expression of the awakened mind. It might happen that as we hear the word renunciation, we don't actually feel uplifted. It doesn't bring a great joy to the heart to hear about it. We might think of um, renunciation as being the times in life when we don't really get what we want, where we impose restriction upon ourselves. Uh, You know, sometimes, I think particularly in America, where the Constitution is based on, uh, has some very noble um, aspirations in it, but where we can, if we aren't looking at it with wisdom, think that there's a sense of entitlement to many different things in life. And that, then when we hear about renunciation, it sounds like it would be miserable. It would deprive us of something. I actually had an experience uh, not so long ago where I went to a restaurant with a friend, a friend who did not have a lot of money. And she really wanted to take me out to dinner and to treat me. We went to a lovely restaurant, and then when I looked at the menu, I had this sense of entitlement. And, you know, it was like, oh, well, you know, I could see all of these things that I wanted on the menu. And then, you know, I thought, oh, my God, she doesn't have much money. But there was this strong feeling of entitlement. And, you know, when I looked at the menu from the place of entitlement, it was really hard to let go of anything that I really wanted. But then suddenly I realized I could use this as a practice of renunciation. And I could just let go of desire. I could refocus the mind on her generosity, her great generosity. And it helped me to be able to have a very simple meal, which was completely satisfying. Sometimes, too, when we hear about renunciation, we might remember all the times when we tried to let go of desire, and we were unable to. We were deeply challenged. And, you know, I remember a friend years ago telling me that she just felt like a jellyfish in the face of desire. 
And so, you know, we can hear it and it might not bring up the great joy that it can be an expression of. But we can rest assured that we aren't the only ones that be, are challenged by renunciation. Uh, the people in the time of the Buddha also struggled with renunciation. And the Buddha himself even speaks of having struggled with renunciation. I'd like to share something from a sutta. One day a householder, Tapusa, went to Venerable Ananda and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he expressed to Ananda the difficulties he was having with renunciation and how it seemed contrary to worldly life. Ananda responded, This calls for a talk, householder. Let's go and see the Blessed One. Let's approach him and on arrival tell him this matter. However he explains it to us, we will bear it in mind. So they went to the Blessed One, and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he said to the Blessed One, Tapusa, the householder here, said to me, Venerable Ananda, sir, we are householders who indulge in sensuality, delight in sensuality, enjoy sensuality, rejoice in sensuality. For us, indulging in sensuality, delighting in sensuality, enjoying sensuality, rejoicing in sensuality, renunciation seems like a sheer drop-off. Yet I've heard that in this doctrine and discipline, the hearts of the very young monks leap up at renunciation, grow confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. So right here is where this doctrine and discipline is contrary to the great mass of people, this being this issue of renunciation. So it is, Ananda, so it is. Even I myself, before my awakening, when I was still an unawakened bodhisattva, thought renunciation is good, seclusion is good, but my heart didn't leap up at renunciation, didn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. The thought occurred to me, what is the cause, what is the reason why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, or see it as peace? Then the thought occurred to me, I haven't seen the drawbacks of sensual pleasures. I haven't pursued this theme. I haven't understood the rewards of renunciation. I haven't familiarized myself with it. That's why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. Then the thought occurred to me, if having seen the drawbacks of sensual pleasures, I were to pursue that theme, and if having understood the reward of renunciation, I were to familiarize myself with it, there's the possibility that my heart would leap up at renunciation. It would grow confident, steadfast, and firm, and see it as peace. 
So, at a later time, having seen the drawbacks of sensual pleasures, I pursued that theme. Having understood the reward of renunciation, I familiarized myself with it. My heart leapt up at renunciation. It grew confident, steadfast, and firm, and saw it as peace. Then quiet, withdrawn from sensuality, withdrawn from unskillful qualities, I entered and remained in the first jhana, rapture and pleasure, born from withdrawal, accompanied by direct thought and evaluation. Mindfulness will help us to explore the drawbacks of sensual pleasure and the rewards of renunciation. If we don't understand the pitfalls, the drawbacks of sensual pleasure, why would we want to let go of sensual pleasure? Because it can hold the promise of happiness. It can hold a fleeting moment where we experience some kind of happiness. And yet, when we bring mindfulness to our experience, we see how fleeting, how limiting this happiness really is. While we're here on retreat, it is wonderful conditions for us to investigate in our own experience some of the drawbacks of sensual pleasure and the rewards of renunciation. With sensual pleasure, after we've had a meal where our favorite food was served, we might be very familiar with the drawbacks of sensual pleasure. As our bodies become heavier, our mind becomes dull. Maybe there's pain in the abdomen. It makes us see that fleeting moment where we took a bite of the food and it was very pleasant. How there is consequences from not uh, staying mindful of the experience and overeating. We can experience the drawback of sensual pleasure in a sitting where we sit down and we try to fabricate or get back a state of calm or peace that we had in another sitting. And just feeling the the struggle that arises, that comes with that desire, that wanting. We can experience the drawback of sensual pleasure when there's any moment of desire and we actually get what we want. How fleeting this is. We can experience the rewards of renunciation. It's in the immediacy of our external environment 
having let go of many things and sitting in relative simplicity. The world around us being very uncomplicated compared to the busyness of our lives at home. We might notice how much easier it is to practice in this environment where distraction isn't always close at hand, where there isn't a TV to turn on or a book to read or a radio to listen to or somebody to simply chat to to pass the time. We might notice how this supports us in being present, awake, aware. We can also experience the rewards of renunciation in a moment where we let go, where we let go of some desire and we feel what happens in that moment. We feel the cooling of the mind. With desire, the mind is burning, it's on fire. And we let go and a great cooling happens. We might notice how much energy becomes available to us when we aren't always chasing after desires. Often find on a retreat, after a few days, the energy might start to build, might become very powerful. Our practice might move into a place where it feels quite effortless. This happens when we start to unify our life force, when it isn't just moving all over the place, when we're no longer pushed and pulled by desires. We can also notice the energy increasing at times when you know, mind states arise that we easily let go of. We're not chasing after every experience that arises in the mind. This, too, brings about great energy. It can help us to see the power of simplifying, keeping our lives simple. We'll find it the same in our lives when we go home if we are not continually running after desire, living a life of simplicity. This allows us to be able to see, to know what is important to us, what is of value, and applying our energy to follow through on that which is of the deepest value to us. I remember a time in my own life when I had a very busy job. I was quite socially active, very physically active at the time. And then meditation became very important to me. And at first it was like one more thing to fit into an already full schedule. But it was important. So I stayed with uh, 
the practice of meditation, making room for it. And then I began to discover that by doing so, it helped me to see that which was not serving me, that which was not helpful, that which I was doing out of habit, or to be distracted. By bringing mindfulness to my life, it helped to simplify it of its own accord by seeing more clearly. So I'd like to suggest that we can hold renunciation in a way that is you know, not so harsh as to be based upon what we should let go of or what we shouldn't do, but can really come from a place of wisdom in seeing that which doesn't support us and simply letting go. It can happen that as we work with renunciation, we can fall into um, a place where we become quite self-righteous about renunciation. But this is not true renunciation because we have allowed the renunciation to become self-referencing. We might be using renunciation to better our self-image in the world, to feel better about ourselves, and this is all relating back to ourselves. And even the noblest of renunciations can become very painful. The mind can become very tight, rigid, and fixed if it's not based upon wisdom. Lama Yeshe, a great Tibetan teacher, once said about renunciation, it's a wish to emerge from the repeated frustrations and disappointments of ordinary life. You know, we keep going after these sense pleasures that we think will bring us happiness and keep repeatedly getting disappointed, getting frustrated. But renunciation being when we have a wish to emerge from just living a life that is based upon this. we find then that we have the capacity to abandon that which is simply based upon habits of greed, hatred, and delusion. In a moment of true renunciation, it's the deepest kindness to ourselves. It's a way of deeply caring so that we don't walk a path that is futile, that will only lead to greater disappointment. The Buddha once referred to renunciation as rest. I think it's a really helpful word to remember in relationship to 
renunciation. That renunciation has this quality of rest, this cooling of the mind, this capacity to simply let go, relinquish. Renunciation is tied to the deepest understanding of the Four Noble Truths. It's tied to that of craving. And so renunciation is a relinquishment of our craving, that lusting, that wanting, that perpetually drives us when we don't pay attention. Renunciation takes on a much more joyous tone when we think of something like renouncing the hindrances. Now, who doesn't want to be free of the hindrances? So it's a letting go of that which binds the heart. It's a letting go of our suffering. The Buddha spoke about renunciation as being one of the three aspects of right thought because it's a thought that counters the force of greed in our minds. It helps to give us a container, give us support to work with this force of greed. You know, the, this desire can be so strong And if we don't have some container in which to work with it, it can seem impossible to work with. And yet, you know, like that moment I had in the restaurant where I was able to see this, you know, force of desire arising and then to give it the container of renunciation to be able to let go, to know there is another way. There can be three levels of renunciation in which we work. The first is the outer. This can be the world of sense desire, material wealth, living a life of simplicity. There's a level of inner renunciation. This is where we can abandon painful emotions, where we're not hanging on to pleasant mind states. We let the world come and go, not being swept away by our experience. And then there is an ultimate level of renunciation. This is where we renounce the concept, the construction of I, me, and mine, of there being a separate unchanging self. So the first of these levels, the level of outer renunciation, the practice that we're doing comes from a long lineage 
of renunciates, people who actually embarked upon the life of a homeless person, where they let go of having a home, having, a, having wealth, having a family. Monks and nuns journeyed this path. As lay people, many lay people, living a life based on precepts. These precepts have within them a level of renunciation. We renounce that which causes harm, that which causes more suffering. The Buddha strongly encouraged the path of the renunciate as a way of giving support to awakening. There's a Jataka tale that is the story that is said to, of, of the Buddhist life that is said to be the life where he perfected this quality of renunciation. And during that life, he was born into a royal family. He was going to be the heir of uh, that kingdom when he grew up. But he was also born with a deep desire to be liberated, to find freedom. And so he, for 16 years, pretended that he was a crippled mute. And finally, he was disbanded from that family. He was not going to inherit the kingdom. He was not going to inherit all the wealth that had been promised to him in his birth. But he wanted to let go of that for something that seemed more nourishing, more helpful. Many of us may have made decisions in our lives that have taken us on a different path because of meditation. Now, I've met a number of people that were going down a path where it was going to uh, bring about prestige, wealth, um, great status in our society, and then ran into meditation. And it questioned what they were doing, why they were doing it. They looked deeper, made decisions where they had to live a life that was a lot simpler. This could be many of us here. Just in coming here, we've left behind family, friends. We've left behind homes where we felt safe and comfortable. We've put aside many distractions. We too, on some level, have chosen the path of renunciation. It's a, even in coming into a simple environment though, there's always ways to look at how we can renounce even further. Now, even though there's not many distractions here, we might during the course of a day find a number of little ways to distract ourselves. I know I discovered this for myself in some of my first retreats where I would sit on the toilet and read the toilet paper roll, read the side of it. And I would read it more than once. And then I'd have a shower and I'd read the back of my shampoo bottle. 
And, you know, I didn't understand at first the craving that was in the mind. I didn't see it. And then I started to see how there was this wanting something, anything. And, you know, as we sit on retreat, we become less picky with what we'll uh, attach ourselves to. So just noticing in your day, what are the things that you do for distraction? You know, how many times do we need to look at the notice board? How many times do we need to read the schedule that is optional? You know, that there's many different ways that we will find our distractions. In coming here, we let go of a level of control. At home, we can make decisions about what we eat, uh, the temperature of the room, whether windows are open or closed. But we come here and we don't have so much control. It can be very challenging. It can bring us face to face with feelings of fear, vulnerability. And this is a gift of renunciation because the control, sense of control that we so often have in our lives is really a false sense of security. We're trying to protect ourselves from feeling impermanence, from being deeply in touch with the changing nature of the world that we live in. And so when we take away that level of control, it will bring us into these feelings of fear, vulnerability. And it's just a place we need to be tender with ourselves so that we can know the truth of life. In being here, some of us may be practicing renunciation by not eating after the midday meal. This is a common form of renunciation on retreats. When we do so, it's the letting go of having that extra meal in the evening, which may be food that we don't really need since we aren't uh, burning energy in the same way. It also allows us to step into a simplicity of simply sitting, walking, sitting, walking, and you know, not needing to think about what's for tea, uh, when should I get up and go to tea. You know, it can be a great event to go to any meal. And so it just brings a little bit more simplicity into our practice when we can uh, live by this precept. It may be that some of us have bodies that this would not be so helpful for. Or it may just seem like too much of a challenge. But we can look at other ways. Maybe we're used to having a cup of tea between breakfast and lunch, or between lunch and tea. Can we let go of this tea? It can be a way that helps us to look right into the face of desire. Sometimes if we're not having the midday meal, we might come to feel hunger, which is a state that we commonly try to avoid in our lives. Uh, 
we do so by making sure that we know when food will be available to us and that it will be timely and will be what we want. And when we can't do that, we come in contact with this feeling of hunger, which can often be experienced as unpleasant, uh, you know, kind of a gnawing in the belly. And yet, I learned uh, that even that is just a perception. I had one person come in one day and tell me how pleasant the state of hunger was, how to them it, it meant that uh, they, they had burnt off fuel and that their stomach was more at rest. So just by working with renunciation of the midday meal or, or of some aspect of food can help us to look more clearly at states such as desire or hunger. <coughs> Sometimes we might practice renunciation in the very form that we're using as practice. It may be that we find that we become this great engineer or manipulator of our practice through trying endless forms of skillful means. Can we just let go? Let our practice be very simple, just turning up to meet our experience. Sometimes it might be that we have been very disciplined and have a strong practice of simply sitting and walking. And then, because of what's ever arising in our practice, this is no longer the most skillful way for us to continue. And we might need to renounce the form. We might need to move into a more formless practice. Sometimes the renunciation, letting go of distractions, of chores, that we tend to set up for ourselves on retreat. I am amazed at how busy I can be on one day of practice on retreat, where you know the chores of taking vitamins at the right time, of washing, brushing the teeth, of showering, of doing the laundry, and some of it needs to be hand done, and some of it needs to be dried, and some of it needs to dry on the line. And there's just any number of ways we can set up chores in the day. And maybe it's to keep our practice more simple. In the outer world of renunciation, at home in our lives, it can be to live more simply, to buy less. The more things that we buy in our lives, the harder we have to work to sustain. We also live on a planet that has limited natural resources, and we're quickly eating them up. When we can practice renunciation in the outer world, it can be of great benefit to all beings. 
in working with renunciation in this way, it is important that we are not being harsh, rigid in how we work with it, but that we really work with it in a way that allows us to be with desire. You know, sitting in desire uh, to buy things arises, to look, to see. You know, it could be that you don't have a good winter coat, and, you know, it could be very skillful to buy that winter coat. But, you know, if it's our tenth warm winter jacket, we might want to look again. But we learn to be in the process, to give space to see that which we can let go of. It allows us to learn to open to and meet the moment more freshly, to be able to respond to life. Suzuki Roshi once said, renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but accepting that they go away. working with renunciation on the inner world. This is where we let go of states of anger, fear, sadness, joy, calm. We relinquish our endless imaginations about how we would like things to be. Or we relinquish the stories that we continually tell ourselves. These can, the inner renunciation can be pleasant experience or unpleasant experience. We don't hang on to the pleasant and and we aren't um, caught or swept away by that which is unpleasant. In our practice, we learn to renounce subtler and subtler states of joy, peace, tranquility. We let these mind states come and go, arise and pass away again, without clinging, grasping to them, without taking them to be self. And in doing so, we find a lappy, uh, <laughs> excuse me, a happiness that is more lasting, enduring. The third level of renunciation being that of the ultimate level of renunciation. The renouncing of this false view of self, of, you know, what even the subtlest sense that something belongs to us. The Buddha once saying, nothing whatsoever is to be clung to as I or mine. And so the great renunciation is giving it all back. Everything that we thought belonged to us, we simply let go of, to the subtlest level. Ajahn Buddhadasa, a famous Thai forest monk, said, we are giving back to nature the things that we have falsely appropriated from it. This mind, these feelings, this body, the breath itself, 
They do not really belong to us. When we see that, instead of feeling deprived of something we thought was ours, we feel a great freedom, the liberation that the Buddha promised. We give back this great burden of self. And we do so when we, in our practice, see into the three characteristics that's common to all experience. When we see into the changing nature of experience, that it's all transitory, that it's all simply arising and passing away. And because of this, it's not a place that lasting happiness can be found. It's insubstantial in its very nature. As we see into these characteristics over and over and over again, it helps to uproot the tendency to grasp, to hold on to. We see the futility of it. And we find the wisdom to do as Suzuki Roshi has said. We accept that things pass away. And in doing so, there's a deep release, a deep peace, in our practice, in our lives, we'll find that there are times when renunciation naturally comes forth. It's just the expression, the wise response to life. It might be when you're sitting down to eat your favorite meal and you remember the pain of overeating. Or you're mindful enough to see that desire for that, you know, second helping come up, and you simply let go. Um, There's a great, to me, what was just a wonderful story of this natural volition of renunciation when my husband's mother was in the situation where she was packing up everything from the home she'd lived in for over 50 years, having to sell many, many things and moving to a place where, you know, probably where she would spend the remainder of her life. And it was a much smaller space than what she'd been living in. And so having to discard many things that she had collected throughout her life, things that had been given to her. You know, she said everything in around her had a story. Someone had given it to her. It was precious to her on some level. And so Edwin, my husband, asked her, is this painful? Is this hard to do? And she just looked at him and said, now is not the time to hang on. She knew the wisdom of renunciation in that moment. And we, we at times experience that. We know it.
The commentaries describe renunciation as having the characteristic of departing from sensual pleasure and its existence. This goes against a lot of our cultural norm, you know, that we fulfill all of these desires for sense pleasure, but we can let it be supported by wisdom. The function of renunciation is to verify the unsatisfactoriness. And this happens when we pay attention to our experience. We see over and over again, as we repeatedly grab at sensual pleasure, how empty it really is. We verify this unsatisfactoriness. The manifestation of renunciation is the withdrawal from sense pleasure, where we are able to relinquish, to let go. The proximate cause for the arising of renunciation is that of spiritual urgency. We can probably see this in our own lives when we think of what happens when we come face to face with impermanence. You know, whether it's through loss of a loved one, whether it's through some great world tragedy, we see what happens, the arousal of this spiritual urgency. I have a friend who had cancer had undergone many different treatments for the cancer, and the cancer persisted. One day, she was in a very bad car accident. It was uh, the people who were the ambulance drivers and attendants said it was the worst accident they had seen in that area for many, ever. And one person had been killed in the accident and another severely injured. She herself was in a state where she was in a coma. They thought that she may never come out of the coma, and that if she did, she would probably be a vegetable, that she would have severe spinal cord damage and would probably never be able to walk again. She was in the coma for about two weeks, and then she came out of it. And when she did, she was not a vegetable, Her faculties were very much intact. She had no spinal cord damage, which she's able to walk now. And the cancer was gone. I recently spoke with her, and she told me that out of this incident, and when she came out of it, she was actually in quite an awakened state. And over time, habits of mind had come back. But she said what had really happened for her through it was that it had shown her what her priority in life was. And she said that priority is awakening, it's liberation. And this had, the spiritual urgency had happened through coming face to face with this truth of impermanence. We find in our lives 
that we can work with renunciation in very simple ways. You know, letting go of that extra cup of tea, that extra serving, letting go of some of the mind states that arise. And this helps us to begin to understand more deeply the rewards of renunciation, being here, living a life that is simpler, to feel how valuable that is, really letting yourself taste of the rewards of renunciation. We find then that renunciation becomes a way of life. In doing so, we can partake of the simple pleasures of life because we're not so distracted. In a moment of sitting, we just sit. In a moment of walking, we just walk. If we're having a cup of tea, it's simply having that cup of tea. If we're looking at a setting sun, we're just present with seeing. It allows us to be fully present in our life. And it changes the whole quality of our lives. Tulku Urjan Rinpoche, a great Tibetan teacher, once said, Renunciation is the sign of true accomplishment, blessing, and realization. Renunciation means to understand that time is running out and everything passes. In other words, it is a natural disenchantment with samsaric attainments and any samsaric state. Renunciation can be a great joy. I was speaking to someone today and told them that I would be talking about renunciation, and they said, it's life with no strife. Letting our lives be very simple, easeful. Remembering this word that the Buddha used, rest, where we can rest the mind. experiencing renunciation on the deepest level of letting go of all that we claim to be I, me, or mine. So let's just sit for a moment. May all beings come to know the great joy of renunciation. Mm -hmm. 